inspiring you to reach your goals and live your dream. And live your dream. This is the Keaton Nelson Show. Alrighty, guys, today I have an awesome guest uh, on here. This guy used to be a jazz pianist, and probably still is a jazz pianist, but he turned his income to like a stream coming from entrepreneurship, and he did one hell of a job uh, doing it. So I'm here to talk to him today. Uh, without further ado, Jeff Lerner, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, man. Keaton, so glad to be here, man. I appreciate you having me on, and I'm excited, especially to the audience out there. I'm grateful for your time. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, thank you guys, everyone, for listening. It means the world to me. Um, and this this is a real treat, guys. Um, Jeff, I, I listened to your podcast on Bradley's show a while back, and then I heard you on Mike Dillard's, and I was like, man, this guy's the real deal. And I have a little personal connection with you. I um, not only of a father, I'm an entrepreneur now. But I went to school for jazz composition and I played jazz guitar. There's my guild right there. Um, And so when I heard you playing piano and and used to gig at uh, working for 200 bucks a night and stuff, and I was just like, yeah, that's what I was doing, too. And uh, had kids and realized I needed to, you know, start making some more money elsewhere and everything. So, yeah, it's a a tough gig. Literally, I I know it well. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, man. So I would love to, like, kind of take it back. Tell little people a little bit more about where you come from, uh, where you started, and and um, sort of bring us up to speed a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you the uh, the the short version, and then if you want me to expand on it, you just let me know. Sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I uh, I didn't. I, I'm not one of those people who was like always a musician. I um, I think I, I fell into music almost as a, as a survival slash coping mechanism um, around the, almost a, a last ditch thing to do. Frankly, I was 16 and I, I struggled in school, not, not so much academically, but almost, I would say spiritually. I just felt like the school system was very much a, a system and a systematization of life. And that I was being molded for something that I didn't sign up for and I didn't really want. Um, I, I actually, I mean, now I refer to it as like long form job training, right? right. But, uh, and, and having studied the origins of the school system and, and all that stuff, it makes, makes a lot of sense. But at the time it was just a feeling, uh, but you know, there's not, a, they don't really give you, and, and, and to fast forward, I'll say that, that a lot of what I do now is around this idea of an alternative path for people that, don't feel like the traditional path is necessarily what they want for their life. It's not to convict it. It's just to say that there's different types of people. There should be different paths. Um, And the school system is one path. Um, And the work I do now, I think is very much around giving people alternatives to to that, even if they're 70 years old, it's never too late. Right. But, um, but at the time I just had this feeling, this path isn't for me. So I actually dropped out uh, halfway through my high school experience. um, Right. Right. At first part of my junior year, I basically was like, "I, I just can't do this anymore. And that's really when I got into music. I had played guitar previously, so I knew I had like a decent ear. I knew that I, you know, I had the, the intellectual capacity to learn music, yeah. but I was by no means like a, an advanced musician at all. And I basically started from scratch it's at 16 years old uh, in the fall of my junior year. I quit going to class and I started practicing obsessively, teaching myself. And it took about a semester, but by the early part of what would be the spring semester, the school system was just fed up. They're like, this kid's not coming to class. Uh, we're we're going to have to, and they, and, you know, long story short, I got expelled. And so I had to have this conversation with my parents of like, look, I, 
I, I, I'm pretty aware of what I've done. Like, I get it. This isn't some uh, in, impetuous act of rebellion. This is like a calculated, intentional thing. I don't want to be in this system. I don't want to be on this path. And I don't know what the other path is going to look like. But I was a big, I was a big fan of you know, epic literature. And, and, and the one thing the school system does that's ironic is they get, these, they get students to read things like the Canterbury Tales and the Odyssey and the Iliad. And you hear these, these stories of these epic odysseys that people go on where the, 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 the majesty is in the journey itself and they don't really know where they're going. Mm. I mean, hell, even Christopher Columbus, right? Like we don't, we don't know where we're going. All the best stories are stories where the ending isn't already written. And so I kind of had, and and admittedly, I didn't put it in those terms with my parents, but I was like, I just, I want a life where I kind of figure, I figure something else out. And we figured we land, we together, we landed on music. Like, Hey, I know, I think I have some aptitude. I think I could get good enough at this that at least you guys wouldn't have to worry about where my next meal was going to come from. Right. And I can go out and create a life that I'm going to love. Mm. And, and that, that was how it got started. And, and everything else is a, is a page or a chapter in that story um, that, that's brought me all the way to here. And I don't know how many of those details you want me to fill in, but I think it was, it was about being a, a, a literal misfit from the beginning. I did not fit. Mm-hmm. And then just having to try to make that work. Totally. So you're, let's say, let's say after you move out of your parents' house, right? And are you, are you supporting yourself through music at this point? Yeah. So the the deal with my parents was, I was like, look, you guys were going to support me for two more years anyway, until it was time for me to start college. Mm -hmm. So will you give me those same two years so that I can practice? Yeah. And they actually bought me a piano and they said, yep, we'll give you two years. And I practiced uh, about 12 to 14 hours. I literally practiced when I wasn't asleep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I got good enough by the time I was around 19 or 20, I was able to audition, get into a, a working band, not like a garage band, but a band that actually had gigs. Right. And I was able to start piecing together a living. And by 20, I was, um, it took about, there was a year, there was an, a year where I did kind of overstay my welcome at home. Yeah. But, but because I was starting to work and make money, they kind of allowed it. But by 20, I was out on my own, uh, living in an apartment as a working musician. <laughs> Nice, man. That's crazy. Um, And how long were you gigging? And would you consider yourself like a starving artist? I mean, like, at least when you were gigging or were you doing okay? Like, I I mean, I started as a starving artist. Like the first regular gig I ever got was at a place called the first regular gig I ever got as a solo pianist. Yeah. um, Not just in the band. Uh, like when I was in the band, I would literally sometimes I would just, we would practice so late at the practice studio. I would just sleep on the couch at the practice studio. So yeah, I was very much a starving artist. Then I started getting solo gigs. Uh, I played at this place called the reggae hut. It was like a Jamaican restaurant and he was oh, cool. still, probably still there. It was a really cool restaurant. Um, and they would, they would pay me with a plate of seasoned rice and jerk chicken, but I could go back for seconds as many times as I wanted. So yep. I, would, I would basically eat one meal a day, three times a week. And by one meal, I mean, I would go back for like thirds and fourths. I was like a bear. I was trying to stuff myself for the, for the winter, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it got better. But I mean, I would say by the time I was like 22, I was consistently making between forty dollars and $60,000 a year. With, as I mean, a that's pretty, yeah. yeah, playing music. That's not too shabby, right? And, and that's, that's counting tips. And, and I was calculated about it. You know, first of all, I was a pianist. So piano is probably the most lucrative instrument to play solo because when totally. rich people have parties in their house, a lot of times they'll hire somebody to come in and play their piano that they already have there. Yeah, I, I, I played at the mansions in Newport. 
when I was okay. Young. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah played, totally. I played for I played literally I played for I could count them half a dozen billionaires in Houston, That's and that great. was the other thing I did is I I focused a lot on like how I, my my not my not just my appearance but my delivery overall. I wanted to be really professional. I got suits that fit well. I kept myself in shape. I kept my hair cut. I kind of went the opposite of like the the hobo musician look. Because yeah. I want, I knew that to make a, a go of this, I needed to be able to play for, frankly, play for rich people that would want me in their house, right? And not think I was going to steal the silverware. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I I networked with this one booking agent. I learned a lot about sales early on. Like, like the reason I was able to to survive reasonably comfortably as a musician for ten years uh, was a lot because of how I sold myself. And I got in with this one booking agency that booked the best gigs, and you know, did okay. That's cool. Yeah, I, I think that like, um, I mean, I was just about to say this, this has to tie into entrepreneurship, which I'll, we'll get into. But I also want to point out to everyone um, who's listening, who's not a musician, making 60K a year, 40 to 60K a year as a musician period is just challenging. Like, uh, there's tons and tons of ways to make money, right? And yeah. we call them different vehicles, right? There's like a software business. There's a real estate. You could be a real estate investor. You could, um, you know, start a marketing company, do services, laundromat, whatever. There's a bunch of different ways to make money. And some of them are easier to make money than others. I think that's just plain and simple. It's just true. Uh, so when you are starting a business, I always try to tell people, think about the vehicle you're choosing to get into. Right, you're gonna right. get into Ferrari. You're gonna get into you know a Toyota Camry. There's pros and cons to both, right? Um, and musicians like a really, really, really hard one. Yeah, to, musician uh, is like a that's like a Ford Pinto. Yeah, or, or like trying to like row across the Atlantic on uh, yeah. you know in a rowboat. You know what I mean? It's it's just yeah. like insane. So that, first of all, that's awesome. And I tried it like, and there's like, you, you sound like you were doing it through gigging. Most people to get to like 40, 50 K a year, they're teaching in like a high school or elementary school. They're doing private lessons on the side and they're doing gigs at night to yeah. just barely get to where you were. But it sounds like you're doing it on one side. So like, just imagine that you had to work like basically three full-time jobs to be making what he was making as, as a musician, which I think is a clear indication of like how successful you were going to be when you switch vehicles. Yeah, I, I, to echo your point, uh, there were three years in a row when I played almost 400 gigs a year. Yeah, that's crazy. More than one a day, right? Like on average, right? If you want to yeah, I would, I would typically play three on Sundays. There would be a church gig, then a brunch gig, then an then a early evening gig, like a happy hour gig. Mm. Dude, and the, yeah. And the, there are like people, at least like, in, I don't know where you were. You're in Houston. But like at least, yeah, where I am, like people are like fighting to get one gig a week, you know, from where, where I'm, where I'm at in Providence and support and stuff like that Uh, in Rhode Island up in the Northeast. But it was great. Like it's, I also like look back uh, and think, I wonder how well I would have done as a musician or how well I will do as a musician in the future, knowing everything I know about business now. Oh yeah, that's totally it. And, and to be fair, I had grown up like my mom was a really successful attorney, and my dad was a a money manager with really high net worth clients that sold himself really well to the affluent. And you know, I think there's a resistance, especially among musicians, where they like they believe that the struggle is part of the art, and it's not. It doesn't. It's happen. like no, the struggle inhibits the art. Like you'd be a better musician if you had less stress and more time to practice. Like stop making it harder than it has to be, right? And uh, 
I, I, I was, look, I didn't start playing until I was 16. So there were, there were already prodigies that could play circles around me on day one. Right. I was never going to win based on virtuosity. Right. I had to invest in the most marketable skills within my category. So I'll give you an example. Um, I, I spent a lot of time early on learning to, uh, working on ear training. Yeah. So that it's, it wasn't about knowing every song because you're never going to know every song that anybody could ever call. But the ability to go, no, I don't know it, but play it one time through and then I'll pick it up and I can play along. That was a more marketable skill than memorizing every song in the book, right? Totally. Um, I also focused a lot on transposition and understanding theory so that I could move between keys right. because I recognized there was a niche to do accompanying for singers. And the most valuable skill for a singer with their accompanist is to say, hey, I have a little bit of a scratchy throat today. Can we take it down a whole step? Yeah. yeah for yeah. you to be able to move the whole song down, that was that was my niche. I ended up getting a lot, I ended up getting to play rehearsals for Houston Grand Opera, mm. not because I could play all the notes, but because I could play all the keys. Right. Yeah. Um, so I I just invoke early on, I learned focus on what gives the most value to the market in whatever category you're in. Mm. <laughs> I want to point out that those skills that you just pointed that you just mentioned transposition um, and ear training, in my opinion, they're much more difficult to master than a lot of the things yeah. in, in, in like entrepreneurship, marketing and funnels and all that type of stuff. Um, yeah, and I don't have perfect yeah. pitch to be clear. I wasn't born well, with, Oh no, you can train thousands yourself. It's, it's thousands of literal thousands of hours yeah. um, for every interval in the diatonic scale you know, which is half step all the way up to an octave and, and back ascending and descending. I had a song that correlated. So, um, that's a cool way of doing it. So for like a major third, uh, or, or, or for like, like a, a perfect fifth, right? Yeah, yeah. Twinkle, 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 twinkle. We, we can, it's harder. To, it's easier to memorize a melody than an interval. Mm -hmm. So I would find melodies that have the interval right at the beginning. And I had a different song for every interval, both ascending and descending. And if I would, start to get confused, I could go to the song yep. based on whatever yeah. note I was on. And, and that, that's fun <laughs> at first, but over time, I was able to piece it together and make it automatic. Yeah, that's fun. It's really cool. I hope that I get a few musicians listening to this. Yeah, everybody else <laughs> yeah. is like, when are these guys going to tell me how to make money? And yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, Maybe we like, should switch it, it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you guys got to learn how to play music and, and ear training. and, and right. What you got to do is learn how to not shy away from the hardest parts of whatever it is that you're doing, if they're also the most valuable parts of whatever it is you're, you, you're trying yeah, yeah. to do. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. yeah. So like don't, don't spend a year putting off learning how to run Facebook ads. If that would make you a lot more successful to just learn. Yes. That, you know? Yeah, totally. I think also like um, doing some of the boring work too, right? Like I'm sitting through and creating SOPs for everything in my business. Um, we're creating new uh, service offerings. So this time I'm doing it around as we do it, but man, it takes a lot of time, <laughs> but it's all the stuff yeah. that, that makes the biggest impact in the future. Um, but it, can I, can I say something else about that? I, totally. I'll say that, you know, a lot of the things that I've done there, it's just about the capacity or the volume of production where people are like, like Jeff, you know, every, like I'll, I'll use as an example, when I started my current business, um, people, you know, people are like, oh, go make, you need to, you need to break out on social media. You need to make content, right? And people make 
if they're exceptional, they make 10 pieces of content before they go, oh, this is, this doesn't work. A lot of people just make one or two, right? You know, I've been on Instagram now for less than four years. And last week I made my 2,500th Instagram post. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I just do a lot of whatever I'm going to do. And I've always, and people ask me like, why don't, why don't you stop? Why don't you get burned out? Why don't you, why aren't you always so quick to self-evaluate and say, oh, this hasn't worked yet. I should stop. Right. Like I just had my first reel go viral. It's got 1.6 million views, but it was the 219th reel that I created. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, And the reason is I decided when I was 16 years old that I wanted my life to be an odyssey. I wanted it to be a journey where the destination wasn't known, but the, the path itself was the joy. And so I'm in it doing the work and I love it. I love the work. It's when we get obsessed with this hypothetical result that's out there in the distance that we're constantly comparing ourselves to, it takes all the joy out of the work and then we end up not doing it and then wondering why we didn't get the result that we were so convinced was what we needed to be happy. That's great, man. It's, it's so true. Um, yeah, that's what I do for my clients. We manage social media and it is like the, it's always like the hundredth reel, the 200th reel, something, but it led to like, how many followers did you get off that? So I, I, and here's the deal. I had, I'm so glad you asked this. I'll give you the really succinct version, but two years ago when I was really trying to break out, I made a mistake. I hired a guy that I met at a, at an event, a good guy. I still think the world of him, but it just, he was a growth hacker. He was a social media growth hacker and he was going to game the algorithm and somehow trick Instagram into giving you all these followers. And he just boogered up my account. Like he almost destroyed it yep. to the point where people were telling me, yeah, Jeff, you have 150,000 followers, but you're only getting 20 likes on a post. Yep. You basically, and, and they were telling me I just needed to wipe it and start, like, start a new account. And I, was, I just refused to give up. So I, I, inst- I, I downloaded an app that allows you to remove your followers and yeah. I removed 145,000 of my 150,000 followers. Um, anybody basically that hadn't engaged in the last 30 days, I got rid of. Cool. So then, and, and this was maybe two months ago. Just this morning, I passed 75,000 followers, all organic. Boom. Got 30, That's what got I'm talking 30, about. Listen to this. I got 30,000 followers organically in the last seven days. Yep. And when was the one that was the 1.6 million? Views. Uh, that, it was two months ago. That's what kicked oh, off. Oh, that kicked it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it, then it starts up. Yeah, exactly. That's what After I see. After 2,400 posts in three years. Now yeah. I gained five or 6,000 followers a day. It's it's ridiculous, but it took yeah. three and a half years. That's it. That's awesome, man. Good. That's good for you. Um, yeah, it's volume. It's volume, it's volume, it's volume. So can we get, let's give some value to our client. By the way, that is valuable. I, I'm not discarding it, but I want to be like, all right, so Jeff, how, um, put it in perspective, how much money are you, is your business generating, let's say a month or a year or something? Let's put this in perspective for people. If that's an okay question to ask. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I, 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 we pride ourselves on radical transparency. We're at about a 55, flirt, depending how it goes this month, flirting with $60 million a, a year run rate right now. Our goal is to be at a hundred million run rate by Q, probably Q2 of next year. That's badass. Okay. So how did the hell did you get there? Um, it's a lot, a lot of kick, getting my ass kicked and kicking whatever was in front of me back. I mean, mm-hmm. it's funny. Like I, I, I totally get as a, as a podcast host, you're like, I want this every episode 
needs to have the golden nugget that they take away. And we're going to keep probing and try to get there. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm and and I'm with you, man. Like we're, yeah, yeah. I'll go, I'll go as deep and, and tactical as we can. Yeah. But the reality is I already said, I already shared the secret. This is not the secret yeah. people want to hear. No, right? you're right. Dude, I, I you know, you're, you're absolutely right. But it's I tell whoever, you what, whoever does, I said this the other day, whoever does the most best work for the longest wins. Yes. A hundred percent. But here's the deal is there's, it's the 1% of people will go and do the work. You probably less than 1%, but let's say it is 1%. When I heard your Mike Dillard podcast, I found it, like I said, after I listened to Bradley's podcast, where you told a lot of this stuff and it was good, but I was already the person who was doing the work. So I yeah. went and searched a little bit further in my Mike Dillard ones. That's when you talked about recording a live every single day and putting a hundred dollars a day behind it. Yeah. yeah. And, this okay. and, this. and then I was like, Ooh, okay. And then you retargeted those views. I was like, this is good. Right. Yeah. Like, because me, I'll go and I'll do it. Most people. Yeah, yeah. Dude, and, and the other okay. nine people that heard that podcast were like, all right. <laughs> yeah. And why didn't this work for me? Oh, because you didn't do the work, you know? Yeah. Okay. No, I love it. So, so yeah, let me, let me sort of restate exactly what I did because, yeah, I mean, right now we have uh, one of the probably most unique unicorn business stories in the world. And, and I'm, only, I'm only hesitating a little bit as I say that because I feel like give us two more years. I mean, I'll, I'll be unapologetic. My goal is to build a billion dollar company by, by serving a million people really, really well Love that. in five years on a $20,000 startup budget that I put on a credit card with no VC, with no VC funding and no debt. Yeah. Right? yeah. So but let's, let's go to, um, I'm going to steer this in a different area. I'm sorry, man, but I want to okay, hear sure, this. Sure. Let's go, let's go client acquisition. Okay. And, and I'd love to learn more about like your offering and, and all that stuff and see, and, and how does, how does that play into it? Okay. So client acquisition, um, you know, first of all, I'm a big fan of the flywheel concept um, where, you know, it's this, if, if you're not familiar, you know, go read good to great Jim Collins, right? Like it's hard to get it spinning at first, but the concept of a flywheel, it's like a rowing, it's like the engine of a rowing machine, right? Is that once you get it moving, it starts to actually create momentum through, through inertia and physics and I really look at like business, at, at least in the modern world now, where everything is visible, everything is transparent, everything is, is open, um, that it, the flywheel, the way you load your flywheel really is with value. Like I think this word value has become like a cliche, mm -hmm. but it's not. It's, it's actually true. fuel. It's literally the highest octane fuel of how you load your flywheel so that you can get it spinning. And it just, it takes, it takes more then a lot of people realize, well, again, for me, it took 219 reels. Why is my Instagram account finally blown? Because blown up in a good way? Because Instagram, I, I finally got their flywheel turning, right? Now I put out a reel and it's like, I'm checking to see if it gets, how many thousands of views it gets in the first hour. And I'm like pissed if it's not 5,000, right? right? But this that's three months ago, I was like debating deleting my Instagram account. Right. Mm -hmm. But I finally got enough value loaded into the Instagram flywheel. And, but, I, but that's Instagram's flywheel. There's a flywheel for your business. That's the flywheel for your customer. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like, if I'm not going to raise money for this, uh, I'm not going to be able to go buy a, a billboard in Times Square to get attention and to be known. I have to become the most valuable person in the market to the person that I'm trying to help. And you know, there's a lot of different facets to that stone of value, but it's trust, it's actual content value, 
It's authority and perceived credibility. It's, are you helping other people, you know, and seeing social proof that what you're doing is helping other people and that lowers people's guards. It's, it's all the principles of persuasion that Robert Cialdini outlines in the book Influence, right? Which I'm sure you're very familiar with. I'm literally reading it right now for the first time, believe it or not. Oh, it's, dude, I, I read it in the spring of 2017. I decided to stop reading so many books and pick one book and read it over and over. Dude, I was... It's, that's, the book, me, that's the book I picked. Dude, it reminds me, you can't see it, but the, the, I have my real book over here, right? Oh, yeah. I have this idea, like, when I played music, it's the same thing with reading books for me. Is like, is it better to play one song 500 different ways or to learn 500 different songs? Well, Bruce Lee said, I, I'm not afraid of the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks. I'm, a, I'm afraid of the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. Mm, yeah, dude. So, like... I'm in like this like exploration mode of books and I'm trying to find like the one to five to 10 or like the ones that I'm just going to sit yeah. and chew on forever. Um, well, that, that was so my 2017 that and a lot of good things have happened to me since 2017. So, um, oh, cool. wow. so anyway, I, I, you know, but, but to, to the point of the value flywheel, um, you know, what does it take to be the most valuable person in your market to the person that you're trying to help? Well, first of all, you have to know who you're trying to help, right? Mm-hmm. And I got really clear. And, and I say I got really clear. It sounds like I sat and I thought and suddenly I was clear. No, it took months and months of creating content and getting the marbles out of my mouth and the ideas out of my head to talk my way into clarity. That's one of the reasons you need to do so much volume is because you get better through the reps, right? Mm-hmm. And you get more clear and you get more certain and you get more confident and you get more concise. You know, uh, Antoine de Zupery said, Perfection is not when there is nothing more to add, but when there's nothing more to take away. And to be able to encapsulate your message in the time span of, of a goldfish attention span, which is what the world has now, right? Like that took me thousands of reps, not hundreds, not tens, thousands. Mm-hmm. But, but I had to get clear. First of all, I had to find who I was talking to. So I started making all this content, putting it out there, seeing who responded to different things. And I would, I would chat with people in the comments and I would kind of figure out, who are the people that I'm really engaging with and who are the people that are just here for a quick hit or whatever. And eventually I kind of found the type of people that are my people. And then I started really focusing and talking to them. For example, I got very unapologetic and clear at a certain point that I'm not going to be lowest common denominator success. I'm not going to do what most of the internet does, which is try to distill success into this panderingly simple formula that feels easy and accessible for most people. Mm-hmm. because most people aren't successful, right? That's just, I mean, look at all of history, right? I'd rather be like, look, if you want the easy way, go find the guru of the month. If you want the real way, come to me. It's going to be hard. It's going to force you to grow. It's not going to be about what you achieve. It's going to be about who you become. You're going to want to quit most of the time. And by the way, you're not going to know that you're committed to not quitting until you've lived every day for the last 30 consecutively wanting to quit and you still haven't, that's when you actually know you're committed, which is a prerequisite that you have what it takes. Like I want to go hard. I want to be like the Navy SEAL buds training of how to become successful online. I, but, but that, that would have been a big gamble to just decide on day one. Now it feels, it it was probably always where I was going to end up because I, I, I'm just, I'm kind of like at this point in my life, I don't want to have dishonest conversations right? or or, I don't want to say dishonest, I don't want to have conversations that aren't ruthlessly honest at this point yes. in my career. Yeah, but, yeah. but I had to, I had to find that there were people that were open to that message mm-hmm. and that happened through communication, through interaction. But eventually I got clear on that. But if you're going to be in that space, which you say, okay, who else is in that space? Right. 
Andy Frizzella is in that space. Yes, he is. Grant Cardone is in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, to some degree, like a Tim Ferriss is in that space, although he's gonna he's not gonna say you need to do more. He's gonna say you need to optimize better. Which but there's that. there's all this is already a space with some pretty titanic personalities. Mm-hmm. So, and it wasn't about crowding them out, but it was saying. How, what do I need to do to get to the point where at least one person looks at all those people and says, Jeff Lerner is my guy. Ooh, that's interesting. Right and, 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 and I knew first and foremost, it was going to take a lot of work. Yeah. Guys clip that one. <laughs> I'm done my video. Team. Like that's good. Cause it's true. That's very interesting. How do you look at all the best in the industry? And then you say, how do I get someone else to choose me over them? Wow. Yeah, and so I'll give an example. Um, you know, first of all, what is it that uh, let's use those three guys, right? Who did I say? Grant Cardone, Andy Frazella, Tim Ferriss, right? Yeah, sure. What do I have in common with them? Uh, like hustle and grind, unapologetic sales, put yourself out there, be it, you know, be your best self. Like I have all that stuff in common with them. I'm not going to beat them at their own game when they've already got massive businesses, massive audiences and a huge running start. Yep. So it's like, how can I be as good at, as those people in the areas where I am competing with them. In other words, if somebody looks at my hustle and grind message, do they feel like it's just as pure as any Frizzella's hustle and grind message? If, if somebody looks at my optimization and, and being your best version of yourself message, are they going to feel that it's just as pure as, as Tim Ferriss's? Okay. Yeah. I have to at least be as good as on those fronts, but then what do I have that's different that they aren't competing with me on? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my story. It was my, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a dad. I talk a lot about being a dad. I talk a lot about the time and money and investment that I've made in being a better husband and the, the time I've spent in therapy. I realized that, that letting my whole self be part of my brand and some of my messiest, hardest parts, you know, those guys, they do a pretty good job of being balanced, but I don't think that they come off as frankly vulnerable as yeah. I do. Yeah. No, believe it or not, the best one that you said out of all those people is probably Grant with being the most real about everything. I agree with that. But then, but, but he also, he layers all this like bling on top of it. Totally. Totally. But what if you could be vulnerability without the bling? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so it's like finding these little, these little crannies that you can fit yourself into and still be authentically you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. All right. So I'm pushing you back. Where, where, where are you finding clients? How much is it costing you to get those clients? And, um, and, and then, um, trying to explain this. So I yeah, basically what, like, here's the thing. If you're going to start without a lot of money, if anyone's going to start a business without a lot of money, they need to figure out how to get clients cheaper than, you're charging the clients and what it costs yeah. to fill on those clients. So I need, if you could go into like that, I, I would love for people to catch on. To. I, uh, I have a very, here's the thing. I'm not even going to give you an original answer. I'm going to give you Alex Hormozzi's answer because I, it's good. Love it. I love it's that. the right answer. I wanted to do, I wanted to point out his, when it comes to value, his value equation, when you're talking about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan and I've been, I've been fortunate to actually become friends with him recently. And mm-hmm. he's like, I actually call him my friend Versary. He's the guy that I get better by, by competing with in my own mind. Totally. Um, cool. You know, Michael Jordan used to make up enemies for games. Like, but we, you know, it's like love for all. Right. 
But anyway, uh, so yes, let's, we can definitely talk about his value equation, but, but I, I love what he says about how everybody is trying to compete on the marketing side. They're trying to have better marketing than, uh, than the next guy. Mm. What about just having a better product? Yes. Like if you can, if you can make one sale of your product and you can completely blow that person's mind and transform their life and over deliver on the result that they came for and, and completely send their skepticism packing. Like every customer you get over the internet is a skeptical customer, right? They're, they're like waiting for you to prove them right, that they're going to be disappointed. Yes. And when you don't, and you keep delivering and you keep giving more than you're asking for in return. And eventually they've got the result and they haven't even paid you as much as they thought they were going to have to, to have to get the result. And you're still giving more and more. And eventually it's not so much the result that you got for them. It's the relief that you gave them that they don't have to feel like a cynic anymore. Mm. You've given them permission to be an optimist again. Yeah. They will go tell their friends. And by the way, as soon as people are talking, this is the secret. Yeah. As soon as people are talking, your customer acquisition cost gets cut in half for every referral. This is it. Yep. Yep. That, that I went out and door knocked with a flyer that I printed out for my first, to get my first client. I've never had to go and look for another client since. I believe it. If you, if you do great work. Yeah, that's it. It's unreal. and, yeah. you know, I, I have a book and forgive me, I'd be remiss to not say this, but today, four weeks from today, I have a book coming out. It's available on wherever books are sold. Beautiful. It'll probably um, be out when this is out, by the way. So, oh, okay. So, awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. August yeah. 2nd is a release date. But, um, but in the book, there's a section called the perception paralysis loop where I break down the, this loop that it's a sort of like a sub, an unpacking of imposter syndrome where we're like, I can't do the thing because I haven't done the thing. But because I haven't, because I'm not doing the thing, then I will never have done the thing to believe that I can do the thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. our perception of ourselves paralyzes us, right? And it's a loop. So I, I really break it down. And what I ultimately encourage somebody to do, let's say you've never gotten a client before, you know, or you've never delivered a service or product before, but you, I mean, first of all, you have to believe in your ability to do it and you have to believe in your intention to do it, right? But assuming that, and I actually script it in the book, there is a pitch you can go give the market that says, look, I'm not going to tell you that I'm the most experienced provider of this or that. In fact, I'm going to tell you that I'm the opposite. And that's a, that's, a, that's a great opportunity for you. And here's why. Anybody else that's been there, done that a thousand times, they've already got 50 clients and you're going to be client number 51. Mm-hmm. For me, I just quit my job or I just told my spouse, hey, I'm going to go start this new business. And I've been spending five years getting ready to do this. And now I'm betting my whole life on this. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. And if you sign up with me today, you are the basket in which I have put all my eggs. My entire life depends on my ability, not only to deliver what you're expecting, but to so over deliver it that the next time I have to go run ads to acquire a customer, I can use you as a testimonial. So who would you rather be with? Would you rather be the experienced guy's 51st client or would you rather be my entire world? where I'm not only proving my service to you, I'm proving my life choice to my spouse by how I take care of you. Yeah. Just own it. Mm. And you're not going to win everybody with that because there's going to be some corporate guy who's got to cover his butt. He's like, I can't sign up with a new person. I got to sign up with the established person or or my boss might get mad at me, but you're going to find the client who's right for you with that message and that you can really build something amazing with. Yes. 
You will. And like, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who have been where you are in that moment too. That yeah, that people resonate. That's the power of vulnerability. Yep, totally. Um, so you're in affiliate marketing now. Is that what it is? What what what? Are, no, what so you- so I run I run an entrepreneurial education platform. So four cool. years ago, I sold my agency. That was my third. At that time, I had had three really successful digital businesses. I was an affiliate marketer for about five years. Did about $10 million in affiliate commissions. That's when I paid off my debt and kind of dug myself out of my hole and really turned my life Ooh, around. That's a good story. I remember that. Now yeah. Know, yeah. And people can people can hear it or they can <clears throat> read the book, buy the book. But, buy the uh, book. Oh, no, no. no. Yeah. I, by the way, before we go any further, because I'll forget. Um, I do this when like, uh, guests have books. First 100 people who send me a DM asking for his book when this goes out, I'll buy your book and ship it out to you. Just give me your address. Ah. Oh. Gratitude, man. That's a that's yeah, a, yeah. yeah dude, that's, I, that's the flywheel right there, man. Over delivering value. Dude, I got, dude. I'm not doing this for me. Like, I'm not making it. Like, you know. Yeah, no. Let, let's be clear to your audience. Don't ever start a podcast for money. <laughs> oh, oh, dude. No, no, no. <laughs> I get nothing. No, I mean, like, other than amazing like opportunities to talk to people like Jeff. But um, yeah, yeah. Th- but do start it for networking. You you nailed it right there. I mean, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. you're now part of my network and vice versa. Hey, a, listen, I'll tell you this. When this comes out, I encourage somebody to go check the the rankings on Amazon and see where my book ranks. I mean, I have a pretty unapologetic goal to be a national uh, bestseller in the business category with okay. my book. Business, and, I'm trying to be a bestseller in both business and personal development or self self development. Um, and when that happens, it's going to be because I've had a podcast for the last two years and I've made a couple hundred really awesome friends that are helping me push the book. That's awesome, man. So that's a case study in podcasting, but. But, uh, but anyway, to, to, to the point, I did affiliate marketing. I had a digital agency for six years that did really well. And, and uh, I also had a, a knowledge-based direct sales company that I started. It was kind of a side project that took off. It got to about a million a month. It actually like Dang. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, for like a part-time side thing. Uh, but anyway, a direct sales thing is pretty like, I mean, I've never dipped my toes in it. So it's interesting. And it was, it was selling education products. It was education and personal development products. So, so anyway, 2018, I had shut my direct sales company down because by the way, do as I say, not as I do. Don't ever start a direct sales company. It turns it, it always turns into a mess. Um, but it was, but it was great education. Product. In fact, a lot of the core education from that company, I still use now in, in Entra. It's when I developed a lot of the frameworks and stuff. Um, but just sell it yourself. Don't use a, a distrib- you know, affiliate based distribute. Well, actually I'm not trying to get too technical. I like affiliate marketing. I just don't like direct sales. Okay. Um, yeah. but anyway, I had been an affiliate marketer. I, I had had an agency. I'd had a direct sales company. I, I, I wound down the affiliate marketing business. I exited or I, I, I shut down the direct sales company, uh, and I sold my agency. So in the fall of 2018, I had like a clear plate for the first time since I was a kid mm. and, and I actually had money and I was like, I was 39 and I was, I was actually considering semi-retirement with just like consulting on the side or something. And instead I was like, no, you know what? I looked around at the world and I saw, man, I, this isn't, in a way it's not fair. Like the, the, the high school dropout broke musician who failed at 11 different businesses is 39 years old and basically ready to retire. And literally my neighbors are like hardworking upper middle class people that are like grinding and they're and and I actually already know I've looked at the data they're not going to be able to retire when they're 65. So it was like instead of just hanging it up and playing, you know, fly fishing for the rest of my life or playing golf, why don't I go teach the world how I've done what I've done and what it is that I've done? 
And I, that's when I started putting all this content out, trying to load that flywheel. And for a year, I just put out content. But then in summer 2019, I created our first course called the Entre Blueprint. It's a basic blueprint for becoming an entrepreneur in the modern world. And uh, that, was, that was the launching point of Entre was July 22nd, 2019, which at the time we're recording this is almost three years. And like I said, we're already at almost a $60 million a year run rate. It's, it's just taken off, dude, because the world is so hungry for this alternative path. You know, every time I turn on the news, it makes, it's telling me why my business is blowing up because mm. the mainstream path is letting everybody down. Mm. That's, uh, I want to also give you a little credit here. Um, probably wouldn't be doing so good if it wasn't a great product. Oh, we, from day one, I sold Entre Blueprint for $39. And I said, and I surveyed my people after they went through the course. And I said, would you have paid $1,000 for this course? And if I didn't get at least a, a good solid number of yeses, mm -hmm. I knew I needed to make it better. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Um, so who, 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 who needs Entra? Who? I mean, I know you say like everyone, but there's, you already know that there's a specific person who needs this and who does it help the most? Yeah, I'll tell you what we're great at. And, and we have plans to be great at other things too. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a, like now that I have, you have a 150 person team, we you can do a lot with a big team, right? Like we have yeah. a whole roadmap for the next five years, but, but fundamentally who we are incredible at serving is me 20 years ago. It's, mm -hmm. and I don't mean by an age, I mean a, a place in life, a person who has this feeling that there's this, there's this other life, this other path, this other direction they want to go. And they want to, find themselves along the way and create a life where they have more control, more freedom, more autonomy, probably more money. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately it's really about more freedom. Money's just, you know, a stepping stone to freedom, right? More time, freedom, location, freedom, like whatever, but they don't. So essentially they're like, I want the fruits of being a successful entrepreneur, but I haven't taken the leap because entrepreneurship is historically, or at least the perception is that it's, it's too risky. It's irresponsibly risky. And so what we've done is we've organized the best paths in the world to go be a successful entrepreneur without having to take all the typical risks of being a startup entrepreneur. And that's who this person's for is like, I want the life that being an entrepreneur could provide me, but I've hesitated because I'm not, I haven't wanted to take all the risk that I, I perceive that, that direction to have. Now, but, so let me be crystal clear. I'm not saying there's no risk. All business has risk and, and, and there's actually two parts to the risk. There's market risk and there's self-risk. You know, mm -hmm. we can't guarantee how the market's going to respond to whatever you do, but I can't even guarantee for anyone that you're going to develop yourself to the place where you're the person that the market should be responding to, yeah. right? So there's, a, there's still a lot that goes into it. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll never outperform your own self-image. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and honestly, you'll never outperform your training. Mm. Like, like, you know, I think it's in atomic habits. People don't rise to the occasion. They fall to the level of their training. Yep. Yes. So we're going to do a lot of work on you. And that's one of the things that people are really kind of blown away with inside of Antra is it is uh, unabashedly as much a personal development company as it is an entrepreneurial training platform. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to, we are, we, we approach entrepreneurship as the crucible in which you develop yourself and your business at the same time. Mm. And I like, I also want to just point out like everyone who's listening to this podcast are already at like a higher, you know, highly likelihood to succeed because most people won't even do this. They won't even listen to this in their car. 
You know what right. I mean? Yeah, they yeah, won't even put it on this YouTube video and try and better themselves in any way, shape. And by the way, the further, the more you're already into personal growth, the more you're going to, you would love Entra because you're just already going to like, you know, be eating some of the cooking, so to speak. That's it. Um, let me, let me, let me actually share this though. Sure. What I, and, and this isn't a plug for Entra. This is, this is literally just, I mean, you can go learn all this for free on my YouTube channel. Like, you know, Entra, I really believe in like information being free and, transformations, support, interaction, like that's what you go pay for, right? Like if yes. you want to do this stuff with Entra, great, come on in. We'd love to have you. But but I, I mean, I give it all away. The, the, the fundamentals I give away for free on, on my YouTube channel and I'll give it away right here. But what we've organized is something we call entrepreneurial life design, which is essentially a life operating system that's designed around entrepreneurs to create the most kick-ass quality of life possible while still scaling amazing businesses. And there's a whole framework and, and literally it's like, my goal is to remove choice and decision from the present so that you can focus on, on what you're building, focus out in the future without like, you can't look at the horizon and look at your feet at the same time. Right. If you're going to keep your eyes on the horizon and keep focused on the goal, which is the, the surest way to walk a straight line, we've got we've to go ahead and move the obstacles out of the way so that you can keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, and our life operating system gives you an entire framework to organize and, and, and structure your life around so that you always know at every second that you're doing exactly the most productive and intentional thing that you could be doing so that you can stay focused on your mission and not have to worry about the chaos around. Mm. That's, that's actually kind of what, what makes us special. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, I find that in my business all the time. You're getting dragged into the day-to-day -day and taken yeah. away from the vision all the time. Yeah. And the day-to-day -day is still going to happen. You just got to have already built the processes and systems for handling it so that it never throws you off your game. That's it. Awesome, man. Um, cool. So before uh, we wrap everything up, I got a few questions I asked all my guests, right? Um, number one, um, do you, I'll start simple. Other than your book, what's one book everyone should read? You're going to say, we are, we actually already talked influence. about influence. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And it's a, it's a, it's an interesting book. It's not like a lot of other, it's not like self-development and stuff. It's interesting book so far. Oh, it's, it's basically a behavioral psychology book. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it, it talks, it's like almost dumbs us down to, to animals and how we do have instincts and, and, uh, um, things that are out of our control that we automatically do just because we're human. Right. Which is really, yeah. really, it's interesting. Um, cool, man. If you, uh, if you could go back in time to any age and go to any age um, at all, but you can only communicate three sentences to yourself. Mm. What age would you go back to? What are the three sentences? And I'm really strict about it. You can't like pay like this. And is three sentences. Um, and then you're, you're just gone. Poof. What age would you go back to? And what were those three sentences? And I'll leave it up to you afterwards if you want to say why. Okay. I would go to myself around, let's say 12 to 14, like the, call it the awkward years, right? Okay. Like, yeah. like when, when, when awkwardness gets even more awkward for, for boys, especially, right? Um, and I would go to that version of myself and look. This is a great question, by the way. And I'm really, I'm really thinking, I, don't, I usually like impromptu, but I'm like, man, I, this is what I would have liked to prepare for. This is good. But 
I, I, let me let me say the first thing that comes to mind is is your differences will make you great. Lean into them. Don't apologize for not fitting in. Mm. I might, if I had more time to craft it, I might redo it. But there, that was three sentences. We'll just have to have you back on. Okay. That's fair. This is good. That's good, man. I love it. And do, do you want me to share? I'll share. I can share why really quick. Yeah, do it. Let's do it. Yeah, because I think this is. I think this is important for for everyone to hear because I think everybody has this <laughs> this little boy and little boy or girl inside them. Um, I I was actually blessed, and I use that word intentionally, gifted even with a genetic disorder called Wardenberg syndrome. So growing up. Uh, I, I looked, I just looked different. I still kind of do. It's weird. As I've gotten older, it's become less visible. I think partly because I've become less insecure about it and I get, I give it less power. I, I actually believe that. Huh. But when I was a kid, I, people used to like think I was maybe like challenged or, you know, I'd get the oh, R wow. word sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was just pathologically insecure. I, I hated myself to the point where in my early teens, I actually hated my parents for having given birth to me because I thought it had, been, I thought it was cruel. Dang. Like, why would you give birth to somebody that could carry a genetic condition that would make them so different that they would get bullied? Like you guys are at, you're, you're the mean ones, right? Like I, w- I wanted somebody to blame. I blame them. Like it was, it was a really dark, painful thing. And I, I look back now and I'm like, I got so used to being different at an early age that what is it that most adults live in terror of? Judgment, yeah. scorn, fundamentally being different. People don't want to stand out anymore or, or in general. Now, admittedly, your audience, they've caught, probably made a decision that there is power in, in leaning into what their unique and special qualities. But I mean, if there's anything we could do in this world, it's to really get people to love the parts of themselves that are different. And in so doing, learn to love and accept the parts of everyone else that are different, right? Mm. God, if I could have told that kid that being different was a blessing, so anyway, I, I don't want to take more time. But and, that, like, and like, how much, how much would that mean to him coming from you? Dude, like, it, you get what I'm saying? Like, like oh, he could, if he oh. could, because yeah, because I would be the only person that could come tell him in a way that he couldn't, he couldn't reject no. or deny. Yeah. Like, exactly. like I am here to tell you, little Jeffrey, that all the bullying, all the trauma, all the scorn, all the judgment, all the insecurity, it is going to be the, 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 the key to unlocking your superpower someday. And I have a bank account and a wife and a family and all the bullshit superficial trappings that everybody thinks is how you measure success. I have all those. And by the way, I have also all the real intangible ones that are actually what's success. I have all of it, not in spite of my differences, but because of it. Stop being so hard on yourself. Mm. Ah, I think everyone, including myself, needs to hear that. Just like, it's good. It's good. Love yeah. It. Um, last question. This uh, last, last main question, right? Um, what's your biggest regret, man? I'm going to be, I'm going to give you the honest answer that I've never told anyone but my wife, because you just happened to ask the question a day after I was really thinking about the answer. Oh man. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually wrestling with the fact that I like, geez, my dad might hear this and kind of, you know, it is what it is. Hi dad. Um, my, 
mom passed away about two years ago and I was an only child. I was her only boy growing up and we were linked not only, I think as a mother son, um, we were also linked. We, we shared the genetic disorder. She had a hard time growing up because of it too. Um, we were linked. I think we were linked in a lot of ways. We both had a lot of like emotional and, and personality similarities. And uh, at some point in the about 10 years, sometime in the last 10 or 15 years, our relationship changed and she kind of put a wall up and I never really knew why. And I have this feeling that she never really told my dad about it because I think she wouldn't have, she was such a conscientious person. She wouldn't have wanted to change the way he saw me, but there was something either that I did or became or, or that she, or, 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 or maybe I'm personalizing it like we do. Or maybe it was just completely something that happened with her, but for some reason, some wall came up in my relationship with my mom in the last maybe 10 or 15 years. And she died two years ago and I never and when she died, she didn't, she didn't, she wrote this big letter to her extent, to her whole family. And I remember as I, after she passed, I was going through her things and I, I kept thinking I was going to find a letter to me. I was her only son and I never did. And I have no idea what that means. And I, I could be assigning so much meaning to something that it was just like, maybe one day she sat down to do it and it was a really bad day with the chemo and she didn't do it. Like, I don't know. But in my mind, I've built up this story. I think of like, there was something that happened between me and my mom and I, I should have confronted it for all those years and I never did. And now it's too late. And I don't even think asking my dad, I don't think there's anything to, to find. And that's my, that's, that's like maybe my only real regret. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being vulnerable <laughs> enough to, to share that. I know that like can't, that's not easy. Um, and the reason I asked this question, like, is these are the real things I think people need to hear. You know, like, yeah. you'll get people no amount of money that I can never make. It's going to sort this one out for me. Um, but every, everyone's got them. I mean, I'll get people on here. They'll they're like, oh, I have no regrets. Everything I've done has led up to this. And this is why mm -hmm. I'm, you, you know, there's always those things. That's, that's this, that's the stock positivity answer. Of course you. it is. Yeah. Of course it is. I mean, so I'm so grateful that you, you were vulnerable enough to share. Um, but I, I think this is something else Alex Ramosi says all the time. We need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. Yeah. Right? You know, we got to be like, I need to be reminded more that that extra two or three hours in the evening of the work that I'm going to get done because I'm behind that is way less important than the two or three hours I could spend with my daughter or, or with my son. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. getting choked up talking about this stuff because it, dude, that's, that's the stuff that matters. <laughs> um, so thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, on an awesome note, you got amazing stuff online. People should follow you. It sounds like probably everyone listening to this already is because like you're getting so many followers every day. But um, where do people follow you, man? Well, it, it's a big world and there's, there's a lot. And, and I don't care who you are, what level you're at. There's a lot more impact to have. Um, and a lot more people to meet. So I'm grateful to anybody that, that 
chooses to follow me. Uh, you know, Instagram, I've actually, I've been focusing a lot on it because it's, you know, you, you feed your winners, right? And it's growing so fast right now that I actually am investing a lot more into it. So my, my typical answer is actually come follow me on YouTube, which I very much hope people do because I love that format because I can really teach. Um, I can get to kind of, I love teaching and you can go a lot deeper on, on, on YouTube with stuff than other platforms. Right. So I certainly hope people will follow me there. Um, but Instagram, I'm putting a lot of, of intention there as well. Um, and I'm Jeff Lerner official in both places. Unfortunately, and not, I mean, God bless him. I hope he has a great life, but there's another Jeff Lerner out there who has all the Jeff Lerner handles. <laughs> so I'm, Jeff, I'm Jeff Lerner official wherever you go look for me. Cool. Awesome, man. Um, I, yeah, I can't thank you enough for, for taking time to be on the show. I like, and this will give you a little, um, something like, I remember listening to those podcasts and thinking if I could get this guy on my show, eventually, I didn't even have a show at the time. And I was like, that, that'll be one of those moments that I like, you know, when those, those come by, when you're like, I manifested, but like, not like, it doesn't have to be all woo woo stuff, but like, I remember imagining what it would be like to interview you. So just like, thanks. It's like a little, uh, mini dream come true, like a little stepping stone on, on all the things to success. So very, very happy that you came on the show, man. Well, consider it, consider it mutual to, to be a guy, to be a person that people value having on their show is let's call that a dream of mine. So thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Cool guys. Um, share this one out. This is a good one. I, I, I really, really appreciate everyone listening to the show and um, thanks again, man. I'm gonna, until next time. Peace guys. <laughs>